Well, good morning, y'all. It's good to see you again. I got my pearl snaps on. I'm feeling really Texas today. So uh, we're going to have a lot of fun as we continue the stories of Jesus. And I, my prayer for you is this This is encouraging. This is not just information, but this is, this is transformation, that your lives are changed as you watch wherever you are, whether you're you know, in Canada or Costa Rica, that this is really speaking to your heart. So I want to tell you this great story of Jesus. But before I get there, I need to tell you this great story from Weatherford. Several years ago, I had the privilege of going up to Chicago to be with a group of, of pastors up there. It was a small group, and I, one of the hotshot pastors asked me up, and he was building this amazing campus, this 180-acre campus, and they were in the middle of all that. And we got to talking about landscaping. And for somehow, I have no idea how I got involved with the conversation because I was just like a nobody. And I was sitting there listening to all these high-powered preachers and, and uh, quote-unquote high-powered preachers. And uh, he, they got around talking about landscaping. I said, well, you know, we have a tree in South Texas called the Weesatch tree. And that's, um, you know, I kind of described the Weesatch tree. It's basically good for nothing, even though it's not spelt like Weesatch. It's spelled with an H. And, you know, I kind of talked to you, make Weesatch jelly, blah, blah, blah. This pastor from Chicago said, hey, uh, I want you to send one of those up to me so I can put it on our campus. I thought, no way. I'm not going to infest Illinois with uh, the whole state of the Illinois with the dead gum Weesatch tree. I'm not going to do that. But, you know, he's insisted I never did do it. I never followed up because I didn't want to be responsible for planting something that would later produce a big problem. Because a Weesatch tree, you can't chop them down, you can't burn them down, they just come back. That's the nature of the Weesatch tree. Now, I tell you this story, story to tell you this story. Jesus tells the parable of the mustard seed. Now, this is kind of a wild conversation. Why would Jesus want to talk about something that was a weed, an insidious plant? When you go to Israel with me, you'll see mustard plants growing everywhere. This is just kind of a wild flowering weed. But if this, this weed could grow into a great tree. Now he told this, and he gave this illustration about a man planting this weed in the middle of a garden. But then he also told about this woman putting yeast in dough. And what does that all mean? Now if we jump to pharisaical thought, they thought that uh, like when it says the birds of the air came and nested in the, in the branches of the mustard tree, oh, that's birds are evil and yeast is evil. But that's not what this means. Even though people can extrapolate a mystical meaning out of this. In fact, I read a lot of commentaries that kind of extrapolated a mystical meaning. But remember this. When you read the Bible, take it literally first. Take it literally first. Don't look for some kind of mystical interpretation. In fact, when a pastor says to me, Oh, I got the special revelation from God, I always check it. Does it line up with scripture? Does it line up historically? And I want you to do the same thing for me. Always check because we can't be full of nonsense and noise. Just so you know. All right. Anyway, he tells his story. Now, we've got to, we have to remember that everything Jesus taught, he did so intentionally. He did nothing by accident. And this story, this parable, is one of those things. So, uh, so we're going to look at this. And we're going to look at the aspects of this biblical interpretation. Now, there's three aspects I want you to consider. The setting of the stories, the crowd who was listening, and the events preceding the parable. So when you look at it, you have to look at, okay, uh, what is the setting of the story? Uh, what is the crowd that he was speaking to whom he was speaking? And what were the events that preceded the parable? And those are considerations that will help you expose the truth that Jesus is telling us. 
Now, Jesus used the mustard seed and the leaven as examples to help us understand this, these deep truths. So let's listen to the story. Listen to what Jesus says. And let's find his truth. Not mine, but his. All for Jesus. So, Father, thank you for what you're going to say. And I pray, Father, that you will speak through me as we talk about what you said. We'll look at the setting, we'll look at the crowd, and we'll hear your truth. And your truth will set us free. So open our minds to you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, this parable is also found in Luke, Luke chapter 13. Jesus told a lot of parables. Most of them you'll find in, uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the synoptic gospels, because that's where the stories of Jesus lie, just so you know. So here, here we are again in Luke chapter 13. <clears throat> Let me start. As he was teaching one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, now remember the crowd to whom he was speaking, synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by the Spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. She had a back issue. You ever had a back issue? Yeah, I have. Had surgery on my back in 2008. Couldn't walk. They did surgery, and I was took up my mat, and I walked. It was a miracle. But this woman was bent over, and so she had an issue with her back. When Jesus saw her, he called her out. He had compassion on her. He called up and said, What was set up straight? What's wrong with you? It's church. No, he didn't do that. He had compassion on her. He called her out. So, woman, you're free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. But the leaders of the synagogue were stupid. They became indignant oh, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Oh, and they responded uh, by telling the crowd, There are six days to work. It should be done. Therefore, come on. These days to be healed are not on the Sabbath day. Like, they're idiots. But boy, doesn't religion sometimes make us into idiots? Okay, we won't chase that rabbit. Let me go on. But the Lord answered them saying, Hypocrites. Don't each of you tie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and leave them to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied for this bondage of the Sabbath day? Now listen to what he did. He elevated her position to a daughter of Abraham, which they all thought they were sons of Abraham. They thought they were the spiritually elite. Direct decisions from Abraham. He elevated her. He also elevated her as a woman, which women were property. And he changed the scenario. Then he told these stories. When he had said these things, all his adversaries were humiliated. But the whole crowd was rejoicing over the glorious things he had done. He said, therefore, this is what he said, What is the kingdom of God like? And what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. What? Why would you plant a weed in the garden? But he intentionally sowed it in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Again he said, What can I compare to the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed it into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. Yeast in the dough. Huh. Jesus was intentional. Look, Jesus was teaching. That's what he does. When he teaches, he meets needs and he provides wisdom. Listen, Jesus meets needs and he provides wisdom when he teaches. 
God wants to meet your needs and give you wisdom with which to live. That's why he wrote his word down. That's why we teach his word for life change, that will meet your need and produce wisdom to live your life. He saw this opportunity to heal this woman and address the brokenness of the system of that day. Jewish people were held captive by the belief system that was infested with useless rules and rituals. They missed the point of God's mercy and his grace and his love, and they were captivated by the oppression of their religion. There was a list of, even a list of unwritten rules called the tradition of the fathers. Now, you'll read about this in the New Testament, the tradition of the fathers. These were unwritten rules that the Pharisees would drag into play, and they would quote something like, you should wash your hands before you eat. It, 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 the disciples didn't do it, and they, they said, why did they break the tradition of the fathers? Jesus going... Hey, don't hit me with the tradition of the fathers. Let's go with the word, the law. Let's go with the truth. Let's don't go with your traditions. See, Jesus was exposing this, this huge false rules. And one of those rules were about Sabbath day and healing. Like, shouldn't everybody be losing their mind with gratitude? Everybody but the religious crowd. Man, I've seen this. Someone who's like a hellbound degenerate gets saved Everyone celebrates but the religious crowd. Someone has changed from a life that's wasted to a life of servant, and we want to elevate them and say, oh, you're disqualified because of what they did back here. Instead of giving them grace, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, we give legalistic judgment. Wow, good thing Paul never applied for a preaching job because he would have been disqualified, probably divorced, and also a murderer, never gotten hired. David, never gotten hired. Moses, never gotten hired. Really? Really? The disciples? Pack of losers. See what I'm saying? Religion could drive us to a place of missing the intentionality of Jesus. Jesus leverages opportunity to set this woman free and to teach a deeper truth about the kingdom of God and how it grows. And this is central to the heart of God. Mm. I love the fact the leaders were indignant. This guy had, these guys had lost the sight of God, and they were into legalism. And Jesus even dared to teach, they even dared to teach Jesus a lesson on the law of Moses. <laughs> really? You're going to teach the one who gave the law a lesson on the law? Really? Hmm. And they didn't even know who to whom they were speaking. They were so blinded. Jesus elevated this woman as a daughter of Abraham, put her in the right perspective, and he did this thing that was an amazing thing. And then he challenged her false system, and this is what he said. He tells these two parables. The mustard was a weed. Why would anyone plant a weed in the garden? Why would they take time to put it in the best place? Because God takes common things of this world, and he puts them central in our lives to do big things. Weeds in the garden become a display for God's glory. Now later, we're going to talk about weeds and wheat in a very challenging parable of Jesus. This is a different one. A mustard seed is a weed in a garden. Now, listening to this, they realize that their weed really, um, they considered their weeds to a belief system. They didn't ma- it didn't matter to the religious leaders. They were pawns in a process and they were considered nothing, especially this woman who was crippled. She was considered nothing because she was considered a weed in the legal system of Judaism. Now, some theologians teach that this mustard tree was, was false religion. I don't think that's true. 
They think the tree represents the kingdoms of earth. I don't think that's true either. They kind of compare it to what Daniel wrote about, about King Nebuchadnezzar and the visions he had about the great tree. I think Jesus was saying the kingdom of God is like this, that he plants ordinary common things and he does extraordinary things with those things. Jesus teaching what people considered useless, God uses for his glory. Weeds in the garden of God become trees that give life. I think that's what he's teaching. That a life planted by God, even considered worthless, becomes something that's beneficial. Maybe you thought of yourself that way for years. You said, well, I'm basically useless. God, God never could do with me. It's not true. He's planted you for his glory. In fact, it says in Isaiah 61, we are oaks of righteousness planting for the splendor of the Lord to reveal God's glory. We're weeds planted for God's glory. Maybe you've allowed the shame of your past to keep the power of God from being revealed in your present. Maybe Jesus thinks you're worth healing and worth planting. I think he does. What God plants grows. Listen to this. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, says Philippians 1.6. Huh. When Jesus said the birds of the air, he was making references to all the nations of mankind. Everyone would find a home in the kingdom of God. He wasn't talking about evil spirits. He was talking about the inclusivity to all people. Now, this second parable is powerful as well. What he's saying is a little bit goes a long way. A little bit goes a long way. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. And no beginning is too small that God will not have his way in beginning something big. Uh, there's a passage in Scripture that says, do not despise the small beginnings. I love that. That as God takes insignificant, nowhere places and nowhere people, and he puts his lump of leaven in that people, and they become big deals. Not the people, but God's glory. God does everything for his glory, and he does big things. Small influences by God, God's design, have big impacts. The impact of the gospel can change a human heart. It can change the condition of a church. It can change the nation's culture. It can lead to be the hope of the world. I think about this in facing the border crisis, that the only thing that's going to solve the border crisis is the gospel. The gospel in McAllen and in, in Brownsville and in Del Rio and in places in Arizona and New Mexico and California, the gospel will change. It's a little bit, brings a big change. But you know the gospel in, in uh, Honduras, in Guatemala, in El Salvador, will change a culture, change a people. Maybe hope can be birthed. Maybe a small piece of leaven planted in 50 pounds of dough becomes delicious bread that breeds hope to a whole culture. Maybe a little tiny mustard seed of hope planted in the rocky soil of Wimberley becomes an international movement that changes the world. What God plants grows. And insignificant becomes significant to God. A stuttering and stammering preacher filled with the glory of God has a church of 100,000 people. 
guy that was addicted to drugs started a church in New York City, changed the culture. What could God do with you? What could God do with me if I allowed him to plant me in the garden of his righteousness? If I allowed him to infuse my 50-pound sack of flour with his leaven of the good news? What could God do with us? I think the United States needs a weed planted in the garden. Needs some leaven planted in the, in the dough. I think it's us. Maybe I should have sent a weed hatch tree to my friend in Chicago. Maybe I should. Then he could have the illustration of the power of God as an infestation covered his whole property. The kingdom of God planted in your heart will change you will change your life, will change your family, will change our city, will change your state, will change our nation, will change our world, all for Jesus. That's what Jesus was saying. So live in that truth. A little bit goes a long way when God is the one who's doing it. Father, I pray that we yield our lives to you today. That folks listening today, some of you will let the gospel be planted into their heart for the first time. They will whisper this, Jesus, I'm yours. Father, for some, this is, you know, Lord, I'm going to quit looking at insignificance and I'm going to look for significance. And I'm going to live my life for something bigger than myself, bigger than stacking up a stack of resources or living in a beautiful place. I'm going to live my life all for you, Jesus, and I'm going to say, use me. And, Father, I'm not going to limit my vision. I'm going to look for your vision. I'm not going to say that a little church in Wimberley can't do big things for the glory of God. I'm going to quit saying that. Because you planted your gospel in us. And your gospel creates trees where birds can nest and flowers so people can feast. All for you. Help us to have the heart change to live all for you. And thank you that you healed this old crippled woman to get our hearts in line with you to hear that you're doing big things through insignificant things. That we might live all for you. We pray this in your son's strong name. Amen.